How was the word of God heard by the people when it was first spoken? The time, the place, the political landscape, the struggles. And how does the word of God apply to this time, this place, this political landscape, our struggles? This is Michael Leasley in context. Understand God's word and apply it to your life. In context. Welcome back to Michael Easley in Context. As you can tell by our theme music, we are back to our regularly scheduled program. We have finished our replay of the Why We Believe What We Believe series. And I have to say, several of you emailed in to let us know how you were enjoying that series. And I just wanted to say thanks. It means so much every time when we hear from folks who are listening and being impacted by the podcast. As you know, our greatest desire is that this show helps you understand God's word and apply it to your life. And so when we get to read emails telling us that it's doing just that, it brings us so much delight and joy and just really humbles us. So thanks. Now, next week, we will begin our brand new series, The Big Book, cover to cover. And I am so excited for y'all to see what we have in store. Michael will be teaching all 66 books of the Bible in 66 episodes. And then we'll also have some bonus episodes most Thursdays that will correspond with that week's book. But today we are releasing a bonus episode. Michael was recently interviewed on a Dallas Theological Seminary podcast called The Table. The Table is a weekly podcast on topics related to God, Christianity, and culture. I listened to this episode a few weeks ago, and not only did I feel so strongly that we needed to replay the conversation on in context, but it also made me a new subscriber of The Table. This episode is titled The Church's Role in Culture, which, if I'm completely honest, made me expect to hear a conversation about the church as an entity, the local gatherings where we meet, ministries, and programs that come out of the church. But instead, I found it to be incredibly thought-provoking and challenging when it comes to my own personal role in God's kingdom work here on earth, and I hope it does the same for you too. So let's listen now. Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture, brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Welcome to the table. We discuss issues of God and culture. I'm Daryl Bach, Executive Director for Cultural Engagement at the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. And my guest is just a good old friend. <laughs> old. <laughs> old, yeah. That's right. That's right. Well, you know, you're just slightly behind me, I think, in age. I'm much younger than yeah, you. Yeah, that's right. yeah, yeah. Well, people get younger all the time. So. That's right. We're not getting, what is it? We're getting older, not old. That's right. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, Michael Easley, who you've done. About everything you can do in ministry. Yeah, I can't land. <laughs> <laughs> um, you've been a pastor. Yes. You've helped run a school. Yes. You've been a pastor again. Yes. And now you're doing podcasts. You know, when I was at the Moody Bible Institute, they were kind enough to give me a couple of radio programs. And uh, it's, as you know, such a, a great platform to talk and interact with folks. And so we started the podcast, Michael Easley in Context, after I left Moody. And it's one of these 
the term organic. It uh-huh. just keeps growing and growing and growing on iTunes and SoundCloud and different mediums. And um, it's just a combination of uh, interviews mm-hmm. like you do. Mm-hmm. Um, our, our byline is taking the life as a Christian in the context so how do you do this in the context of your life? Mm-hmm. And then my shtick, of course, is understanding God's Word and applying it in the context of your life. Mm-hmm. So in context of the text, in context of your life, so forth and so on. So we have a lot of fun doing the podcast. Well, we do the same thing. We uh, One of the things that we talk about is trying to uh, train leaders to have biblical agility in shifting times. And so it's See, that's, a, that's, that's more succinct. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're better at that. Yeah. Yeah. I'll and, give you, and, and, you, you know, get one. And the, and, the image, and the image is, you know, read and react. And I tell people, it's like the football player spends all week saying, all right, here's the pulling guard play, and here's where the hole is supposed to be. But then he gets the ball in the game, and he's got to read his lineman and the defense to figure out where that hole is going to be. Right. And sometimes it's not in the same place that it was designed to be, and so you got to be able to react with agility in order to know what's going on. You see this young African-American kid up in the Washington State, high school kid, uh-huh. blind? Huh. That's no. killing it? No. It's killing it. Huh. Huh. And he says he knows where the hole is based on his team. Huh. So, Interesting. See? Yeah, that's yeah. good. Oh, okay. Well, I hope we're not doing what we do blind, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you got people helping you. Right? Exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, Michael and I, we go way back. We uh, we were in church together when uh, when I was teaching and he was a student, and, uh, uh, and we've just kept up. And so our topic today is um, – What's going on in the church? Uh, but first, before we do that, let's let's talk a little bit more about about in context. Uh, how long have you been doing it? Well, the repo- reboot of the podcast now has been about five years. Mm-hmm. In fact, my executive producer asked me, please, please, please tell them to go look at michaelincontext.com. <laughs> we've got a new feature called uh-huh. Ask Dr. E. Okay. All right. And so we've already got a host of questions coming in from all over the map oh, wow. on uh, anything you wanted to ask uh, Dr. E about. Uh-huh. And so uh, folks want to later on, uh, uh-huh. want to phone in and leave a voice message. We'll try to get to all the questions. Oh, wow. So so you're going to build some of the podcasts around those questions correct, in particular? Correct. So yeah. uh, now that we've planted a church uh, uh-huh. some time ago uh-huh. and I'm teaching more regularly week to week, the podcast will be as much Bible teaching, but we're incorporating more and more of these interviews and interactions. And well, of course, what you learn as well with the podcast right. is in involvement of people saying, well, what does Daryl think? What does Dr. Bach think about that? Yeah, which I try uh, well, not to tell. Well, yeah. No, I'm more than happy to. <laughs> yeah, I want them to think through how to think through it, but I don't want to tell them what to do. So anyway. Well, that's where we're different. Yeah. <laughs> Depressed? Yeah. Don't exactly, be. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. So, um, okay. So our topic is kind of the state of the church. Let's talk a little bit about what you're what you're hearing. I mean, because you, you're like me. You've got your ear to the ground. You're listening to what's going on. Uh, how would you describe the state of the church in light of uh, – there's no doubt that we're living in very challenging times. So how, how do you see the state of the church? Well, let, let's go back to okay. asking about Christianity in America, big umbrella. Okay. So how do we start there? Okay. And you and I can look at churches in Texas. We were in Northern Virginia, D.C. for 12 years, mm-hmm. Chicago for four uh, Middle Tennessee for uh, 10 and counting. Mm-hmm. And I would say each one has a little different – Sure. Aspect and affect. My my sense is I call it horizontal Christianity. Mm-hmm. That evangelicalism, besides the terminology being gummed up and discussed today, mm-hmm. emerging, emergent, purpose-driven, right. seeker-sensitive, so forth. Beside evangelical being sort of a, a tar baby right now, I think one of the challenges is it's an I, me, my church. Mm-hmm. What do I get out of my is my songs, my worship style. I, me, my my children, my marriage. 
those things are important. Mm-hmm. But I think we've made a, a significant shift, Daryl, from a vertical relationship to I'm to serve Christ and with His people, serve people, to I mean my. Mm-hmm. And and just from a pastoral hack side of things, what I've watched is far more self orientation, uh, not not wholesale. Yeah. But but that's one of my big concerns is that the church has uh, lost its footing a little bit. Need driven mm-hmm. programs, mm-hmm. need driven uh, ministries, mm-hmm. which can ha- have a place. Mm-hmm. But if we're off target about honoring Christ, Christ at His Word, explaining the Scripture. Making disciples, helping people mm-hmm. truly, not joking, yeah, right, but right. learn to think critically. Right. Then we're off. We're off scale. So, but you're talking about what kind of the dynamics within the church. Uh, let me wrap up. Let me wrap some cellophane around that and say, how much of that do you think is the fact that we have gone through? Now, this is especially true of our generation. Um, we have gone through mammoth changes in the larger culture in in our lifetime. I mean, I, I tell, the way I like to illustrate this is I, th- I have two examples. One is the Telstar satellite, which is going way back. Okay. I like you, by the way, when you illustrate, because you go back to illustrations <laughs> I get. Okay. They come back from my time. Yeah. That's right. Exactly. Track, exactly right. Vinyl records. I mean, that was good. Anyway, so, uh, um, and the pill. So just think about those two things. One, change the way in which the amount of information we get, how often we get it, where we get it from, et cetera. I like to say the world is both bigger and smaller simultaneously. Mm -hmm. And the second is uh, the pill changed the consequences of sexual engagement uh, and the options that people had. And so I wonder if some of the – even the the crying for need, et cetera, isn't a product, at least in part, of the disorientation that life has introduced into people's lives. And and perhaps the lack of those of us behind a pulpit Mm -hmm. to know how to move with that. Exactly. Um, One of our, you know, well-loved professors, profs, said, Mm -hmm. you're not making the Bible relevant. Yeah. It is relevant. Right. The challenge, however, is we've got a group that is disconnected uh-huh. from the idea of truth and the way you and I learned it and the way we taught it. Uh-huh. So I agree with you that these mores have changed. I disagree with the trend of my peer, uh-huh. many who are jettisoning the Bible. Right. You don't really need to go to seminary. Yep. You don't need expository scripture. I'm going, well, if we leave the truth behind – yeah, where are we? It and it's yep. that's the horizontal Christianity. Yeah. So I agree with you in that sense. And where the church perhaps has failed is not keeping its ear to the culture and you know the old how do you know a dollar bill? Do you study counterfeits or do you study the real deal? Right. I'm the guy that says study the real deal. Yeah. And you can spot the counterfeit. We're spending time like businesses studying the counterfeit. We're studying the competitor. We're seeing what's working down the street. And um, I still think contextually, if you're making disciples first. The church will take care of itself. And where the relational capitals change is the way we made disciples. Mm-hmm. You and I sat under a mentor who taught. Right. Now we must sit at a, at a table uh-huh. and have a dialogue. Uh-huh. Because that the mindset today seems to worship dialogue, not truth. Mm-hmm. So the goal for you and me as an educator is to help them dialogue to the truth. Mm-hmm. In an open way, not not subterfuge, but to be able to say, guys, you can't just go on your experience. You can't just go on your feeling. You, feelings are valid for as long as you feel that way. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Although, let me let me throw in again a, a little bit of a. Wrench. I would be bored if you would. Okay, and, and that would be this that um, and here's here's what I th- part of what I think we're going through. 
traditionally the church, because it's been committed to Scripture, and also because it has emerged out of the fundamentalist modernist controversy, you know, in which standing up for Scripture was obviously very important and a lodestone and appropriately so, for the Christian movement. What we have tended to do is we've analyzed, well, here's what the Scripture says and here's where the culture is, and the two things often collide. The problem is is that life in a fallen world is actually pretty messy, so that sometimes what you get are biblical values that, that also come into tension with each other. How do I balance these things because I live in an imperfect world and I, and I don't walk into an ideal space? and so. So, the, so I might know how to analyze what the ideas of Scripture are and how that weighs against the failures of the culture, but I still have the problem on the other end of how do I relate to someone who's in that space well in the midst of trying to get them to either react or respond biblically. And so we've, we've gone with our ideas as our lead card, which is important. Ideas are a key part of the deal, but you've also got to think through relationally how you engage the person so you don't just shove them away, but they actually come to sense you're you're challenging me because you want my best interests at heart. I'll say a couple things. One of my monikers is we're broken creatures in a broken context. Mm-hmm. And so as broken people in a broken world, we all come to that level ground. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess the differential that maybe you and I are going after is I'm not as concerned about um, engaging a culture. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to engage X. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of discussion. We need to engage this social mm-hmm. segment or this people group or this sexual identity. Mm-hmm. And, and my mindset, Daryl, is you got to serve influence. Mm-hmm. And there's some people you have. Uh, this is the communication of life. Your travel, your neighbors. Why can't you just be good human friends to those people and see how God will open those relationships to have and afford that conversation? And it's true in the church as well. It is in our communities. Uh, Cindy and I just moved to a new community uh, some time ago, and it's striking. Nobody's trying to prove anything because we're all new. Right. I have been here for 30 years, <laughs> yeah. that, that thing. Yeah. And um, they're very open to what each other you know, were involved with. Mm-hmm. And some have children, some don't. Some have lots of money, some don't. And it's more we're part of a new neighborhood, mm-hmm. and let's have a barbecue, and let's come over and, and sit on the back porch and in the winter put a fire in the back for, uh, the fireplace. And I think that just simple, basic community of meeting people where they are, forget about engaging them and understanding their worldview. They got marriages that have broken their hearts, kids that have broken their hearts. They've got cancer. They've got a, a tough job situation. They're upside down financially. That's the human condition. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we have to. I don't. I don't overwork it. I'm not as smart as you, Daryl. <laughs> I don't have to overwork to the point where I'm. Am I engaging them or not? But when we have that conversation where the fulcrum comes down, my point is not to beat them over the head, but say, you know, I have a, a view of this book that God spoke, mm-hmm. and it's reliable, mm-hmm. and maybe it's complicated, and maybe there's an antinomy or a tension mm-hmm. there. I'm not afraid to admit that or acknowledge mm-hmm. it. There's a lot more we can talk about that's pretty simple to understand. And I think loving them and being friendly to them and being kind to them uh, if they bristle back because they find out I'm a Christian or a pastor, I can't do a lot about that. I really can't. I mean, I, I'm not a in-your-face kind of guy with the guy on the street. I might be you and me. We'll be in our face because we're on the same we're on that's the same right, thing, right? Um, and that's part of friendship too. Right. Is can we you know argue and disagree? Right. Um, most people I think are willing to learn. Mm-hmm. Some of the Christians maybe have gotten a little you know stovepiped in their view. 
But I just think we make it harder than it has to be. Interesting, because I mean, I'm I'm tracking with you all the yep. way. I mean, until uh, <laughs> well, no. The point here is is that you're right. All relationship. I mean, in one sense, all politics is local. You know, and and so, um, and all engagement in very real sense is local. The the hard part, I think, in thinking about what the church is, is that the church is both a local and a corporate institution. It isn't just strictly local, and the, and the credibility of the church and how they care about people and how they engage with people and all that is wrapped up in the way in which the church functions both as an internal community and the types of things that it's concerned so about. So as a pastor mm-hmm. for almost 40 years on mm-hmm. and off now, yep. when you come to me with your program yep. and I don't say, I'm, that's the best thing since buttered toast, man, you know, I say, well, that's great, but we're doing 112 ministries. Yes. So. I push back as a pastor a little bit saying the church can't be this the church isn't doing this the church isn't doing that the church should the church shouldn't and as a defender of his church I want to say you've got a number of resources you've got good and godly people hopefully on staff and in leadership good and godly volunteers serving in different ways the church can't do everything for example we had a church in DC that was enormous mm-hmm. 112 ministries mm-hmm. to add one more ministry to that to that table you're talking infrastructure to money, resources, offices, staffing, the right staffing. You've hired and fired people, getting the right people to serve the Lord. Nope, you're right. So the, that's why I said earlier, the business model has taken over the church mm-hmm. in many ways. Mm-hmm. How, we use the term startup, <laughs> launch, yeah, yeah. Silicon Valley, yeah, yeah. You know, reproducible, all these things. This is Silicon Valley. So I'm going back to what did Jesus say? Make disciples of all ethnos. And I will build my church. Yeah, and I think my response to that would be yes, and I get that, and that's the lo- that's a local body community that you're working with, and yet what you have are people in the church who are lawyers and doctors and politicians, etc. They work in those spaces and places. In fact, they're in those spaces and places more time in their lives than they are in your building. No question. And so then the question becomes, how do I equip them to be the best representatives of Christ where God has them in those spaces and places, which means they are walking into these spheres and facing these kinds of questions and having to think through, what? how do I best represent Christ in this particular challenge that my job is offering me in that kind of and thing? And that's the most fun part of ministry. Exactly right. Because when we lived in D.C., uh, names I won't use, but men and women who were in office, elected, appointed officials, judges, attorneys, uh, people that work with campaigns. In D.C., you had about a 33% turnover every 18 months because mm-hmm. administration was changed, mm-hmm. military promotions and retirements. Um, and when you get to know these people, obviously one person, you can probably handle about 10 or 12 relationships outside your really tight-knit group. Right, right. My thesis, yeah. okay? So I've got friends in high places. I want to go see where they work. Mm-hmm. I want to go have lunch in their building. Exactly. They're happy to have me down there. Right. I go down there and see the Pentagon or the Russell Building or the Cannon Building or you know some other thing in the government system or in Tennessee where people work. Come see your office. I want to just meet your people. And then we go to lunch or coffee, and that if it's you, so Michael, yeah. how do I live as a believer in this 
And I go, man, let's talk about that. That's right. I don't have the answer. Right. But I have the relational capital as a friend and a co-follower of Christ to hopefully disciple him or her. And you have the text of the scripture to help show what the principles which are. The, well, that's exactly which depending well, again, depending on how much experience they have with the church, they may or may not have it. But the question is, how does the church prepare people for that level of that's what I consider to be engagement. In other words, I don't see okay. engagement to be ideology and causes, if I can well, say okay, that. Okay, because that's okay. typically what I hear. Okay. And we that's, need to engage that's right. X culture. That's I'm right. Going, no, we don't. No, we need to help people function function. Well, and and corporate entities because some of these people run entities. Right, but you're not going in uh, a friend of mine who owns a very large business, right? And he and I have very candid conversations about his challenges internally, and hiring, and firing, and money, and so forth. I'm not going to go share that with his staff, right? But he's asking me as a pastor and a friend and a brother in Christ. And you know, a lot of times, you know, the answer is, hmm. man, that's really hard. That's right. I don't know what to tell your friend. I'm gonna pray with you. Yeah. And you know what? That's all he needed to hear, <laughs> right? Sometimes. Well, sometimes. Although other times he might be, it, it might be, um, he's concerned. I've met lots of Christian people who are in this situation. They're running a company or whatever, and they would say, "How do I have? How do I create help to create the right kind of business culture? No, yeah, sure, how, how do I, how do I help people flourish in the job that they're? In? How do I help the person who doesn't know what what Christ is all about appreciate the work that they're doing, what we're doing, right. how their service works in such a way that they look at me at some point and they might ask, "Where does that come from?" So my first job out of college was with a government uh, thing called uh, Deep East Texas Council of Government, DETCOG, <laughs> acronyms in the government. Yeah, I was the Regional Alcoholism Services Director, okay. RSD. Okay. There were 24 COGs in the state of Texas, uh -huh. DETCOG was one, uh -huh. and as an RSD, I oversaw the money that came from the federal government to help alcohol and drug rehabilitation centers. Mm -hmm. That crossed uh, halfway houses and all kinds of things. I had to go around the securities route, 13 counties, mm -hmm. and see how your tax dollars uh -huh. were helping those counties mm -hmm. as a college grad. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> uh, and of course, I didn't know what I didn't know, yeah. but I would go and hear these people's stories, and I you know, I, I wasn't very smart, Daryl. I had a big Bible in my office uh -huh. by my coffee cup. Uh -huh. I was the first one at work every morning and mm -hmm. made the coffee. That that was like having a revolver uh -huh. on the table. Yeah. Today, yeah, in that day it wasn't. Yeah, that that's day, right. And you know how many people would come in my office at some point in time? Sure. And sit down and close the door and say, can I ask you a question? Yep. And that's where I think we make Christianity too hard. Uh -huh. And so when we talk about this, I, I tell people all the time, you got a sandbox in your office. Mm -hmm. You have a job, mm -hmm. and you get to represent Christ, and nobody can tell you otherwise mm -hmm. in your sandbox. You report to someone or some team, but you do your job to the best of your ability. You need help from time to time. You ask people to come alongside you. You have a problem. You complain up, not horizontally. All these things that we know about uh, how offices should conduct themselves. And just simple things like that, communicating clearly, processing your feelings. So again, I think I can – well, me uh – -huh. I think the Christian can go in and help a, another businessman or woman in their world say, do the best job in your sandbox you can mm -hmm. for, for God's honor mm -hmm. and see how he'll use that. Mm -hmm. And you've had this experience. Strangers sure. come to you sure. and say – the story I like to tell about my first job is I was I worked in a mailroom at, at the Galleria in Houston. Okay, so you know where I'm talking. It. It's Galleria Bank. Okay, that's where I worked. 
And uh, and that was back now, – now, again, this is going to be an illustration that millennials aren't going to get, okay? I worked in an office where most of the people, their job was to file the checks in filing cabinets yep. each month because each month they mailed those checks back to the person, etc. Um, a mindless job. A mindless. Job. Okay. All right. Absolutely a mind. And we're down there all day, and we're in a we're in a basement. There are no windows. Okay. So the I mean, the more I describe this, the worse it gets. All right. And I've seen an elf. <laughs> exactly. And and in the mail room. And, and the mail and the, our mail machine was located right off the edge where all these people were working, right over here. And we're we're trapped from nine from nine to five doing this work. Okay. I get to go up and to help deliver the mail you know, for a guy who'd been there for years, etc. But one day it dawned on me there was this bulletin board. And on the bulletin board, I decided to put what I called the verse of the day. So I wrote up a verse of the day, but this is how I did it. The first one was, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And then there was one question. Does anyone know where this comes from? I also put under you. I'm, 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 I think I'm 18 at the okay, time. Wow. Okay, I've just come, I've just come to the Lord, literally. Wow. Okay. Gutsy. Okay. I've just come to the Lord, and underneath it, I put um, a saying on the tower at the University of Texas at Austin. Okay, and then underneath it, I put, "Does anyone know where this comes from and what it's talking about?" Okay, and I leave it there. Okay, so what does it do? It engenders all kinds of guesses. Well, that's got to be about this. They're all kind of, and I'm just enjoying the conversation. So I did this for a while. Mostly Proverbs and Psalms is what I would put up there. And then finally one day I decided, well, I want to see if this is really working. So I'm not going to put up the verse of the day and see if anyone notices. Okay? So one day I came along and, and, I, and I, I didn't put it up there. About 9.30, not, not too far into the day, hey, Daryl. Where's the verse of the day? I said I was just seeing if you if it made any difference, you know. <laughs> yeah, you know, and 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 of course what that did was open up a whole layer of conversation at work that generally speaking didn't take place, yeah. and caused people pause and it and it also communicated a respect for the scripture because here's something I deeply believe, I think that the church is oftentimes communicated in a way that says it's true because it's in the Bible. Okay, because we think the Bible's inspired. God's speaking, of course. But to someone for whom the Bible doesn't matter, the way to think about this is in the Bible because it's true. Now that's not the same that's not the same kind of argument, but it is important in trying to reach people with the content of what scripture is. You know, the idea is well the reason God inspired this is because he wants to tell us something that works, you know. And and so thinking through it that so so I'm I'm wrestling with um, all these relational features that you're talking about, but thinking about how do I do this for people who have whose perception of what Christianity is has been absorbed by the culture? And I like to tell people, well, if that's where their impression of Christianity is, we're you're probably trouble. talking past each other. We're in trouble. Yeah. That's right. And so, you know, so how do we deal with that? So it seems to me that giving people, if I can say it's skill in that, when I think of cultural engagement, that's the skill that I'm talking about. How can I walk into the spaces and places where I function, not just individually, but even corporately in the in the context right. of the work that I do or whatever, and and ask the question, what is the best way to be a God-honoring human here. And for the unbeliever, what is the best way to show what life is about here so that the gospel might be attractive? 
Yeah, and I wouldn't disagree. Yeah, I, I, when I when I hear you say culture, I think of these broad stroke segments of right. engaging this culture and that culture. When I th- what the terminology I'm using is just a, I guess a synonym to uh-huh. say relational context because it's, a, it's it's not the group necessarily. I've got to encourage and help that man or woman in his or her sphere. Mm-hmm. I have a friend that owns a, a, a very large set of businesses in D.C. Mm-hmm. And um, he's been very generous to churches, to ministries that we know. And his Christian life is good, but I, I would not say, man, this guy is really killing it in the marketplace as a believer. So part of my friendship with him over the years has been encouraging him to live out his Christianity. And over the years, he's offered uh, help for kids to go to private schools. He set up funds uh, in, in his uh, company for, like, if there's a baby was born with some medical problems or whatever. And little by little, he's got his camel's nose under the, pen, under the tent to say, I can be a Christian. After all, I own this company. Right. I employ all these people. Right. I pay them all their salaries. Right. Um, I don't know that he put a verse on his office door, uh-huh. but they know that he's a believer. Mm-hmm. But part of it's helping him mature. I asked him one time. I said, "Why don't you have a Bible study for all your, you know, top tier people?" Uh-huh. And he was very nervous about that idea. Uh-huh. And he said, "Well, I don't know if I could teach it." I said, "Well, that's fair enough. What if we got somebody to help you?" Uh-huh. And and the more he thought about it, he said, "Well, if I do that, and then people come for the wrong reasons, so now we're into the ethics right, of right. how you run a business right. as a believer." So to your point, then you know, I think there are lots of ways, and I don't put the church as this amoeba right. has to do all this. I put this back on guys like you and me and other men and women who know the Bible to be able to say, this is exciting to see how God would use you exactly in your sphere of influence. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to cower. Mm-hmm. You don't have to worry about being politically correct. Mm-hmm. You can say, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. And if you're kind and loving and smile at the future, you're probably going to have a pretty good opportunity to encourage those people toward Christ. So the issues of, to me, the issues of church leadership is about equipping people, equipping yes. people for ministry. And so if you do that, you're you're going to they're going to be interacting in these spheres. The a pastor who who pursues this will end up learning a lot about oh where his word. parishioners oh are. Word. You know, when I started out, yeah, my yeah. first pastor yeah. job, it's electric typewriter, yeah. That was the computer yeah, yeah, of the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah right, okay. exactly. I had an eight and a half by eleven thumbtacked uh-huh. out of graph paper on my wall. I drew a little hand bell curve. I put young disenfranchised teenager that won't go to youth group, uh, widow widower, uh-huh. and over weeks and months, uh-huh. I filled it in. I put adjectives that described them: lonely, hurt. Worn out with a mom with three children, sure, exactly. empty nesters, yep. uh, feeling lonely and excited. Uh-huh. And I had this thing. I wish I still had the document. Yeah. It was over months uh-huh. because when Michael was typing a sermon with real books and my Greek text <laughs> and my Bible out. You can thank us for that. But I was not preaching to, in this category, a 61-year-old man with four grown children, three of whom were adopted with two grandchildren, when a partridge in a pear tree. Right. I was looking at these are the people that God has sitting in that room. Then the other thing I tell young pastors is now preach to the people you want. Yeah, exactly. Not just identify who's coming, right? But who do you want them to be? Right. So it sounds kind of strange, Daryl, but it's probably true for you as well. Because I use medical terminology, mm-hmm. because I've been through four back surgeries mm-hmm. and I tend to know a little bit more about medicine than I should, I'm dangerous. Um, I have a lot of 
medical professional friends, guess where they come to church? Uh, you run with attorneys. You talk to attorneys. You have interest in politics, interest in sports. Mm-hmm. Those spheres of influence are so easy. And if you're going to – the term you use, cultural engagement, yeah, yeah. to me, I'm engaging a culture of people that have an interest in medicine and sports exactly. and computers and technology. And I'm like you. I want to go see where they work mm-hmm. because when I come back to the books, I can see that guy in his office right. at his university or his medical center, and I know that's where he's 40, 50 hours a week. And if I hear the two or three things that he's really wrestling with – I'm in a much better position to speak to his life. And I mentioned in the sermon, I was talking to a friend this week, yeah. and he shared with me that he doubts about his salvation. Yeah. This is a true story. Yeah. And I said to the congregation, you know, I remember years doubting if I was saved or not. Mm-hmm. How many of you have doubted with whether or not you were saved? Yeah. They, they raised yeah. their hands. Yeah. yeah. And all of a sudden that guy feels like, I'm not alone. I'm not alone. It's yeah. normal. Yeah. You know what? It's okay to doubt. Yeah. Now, what did Jesus say about doubting? You know, and take yeah. it there. And I think that's that to me isn't why do we make it hard? That's my question. Why why does the church have to make a program when they can just relationally through God's word, God's spirit, God's people engage them? But notice the other element that's in that, which is you've made an effort to get this what I call this is getting a spiritual GPS on your audience. You know, you're 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 figuring out what drives them. You're figuring out what uh, where their concerns are, where their tensions are, what they're wrestling with. You get to know them. It's really what you're doing. You're getting to know them, and then it's ha- it's ha- it's having enough enough background, or if you don't have the background, knowing where to go to help get yeah. it, to um, to be able to help speak into that. And even at points, as you're right, sometimes you'll end up and say, man, that's a good question. I don't know what the answer to that is. But, you know, it probably wouldn't hurt us to stop and think through and wrestle with what are what are what are our options here? You right. know, and what will what will best represent what Christ is? You know, et cetera. To me, that's part of what engagement is about. And when you communicate, when you communicate to people that you care, and even even if they're in the midst of making a bad decision, if you communicate in the midst of them, you care. And and they get that they will care more about your challenge to them about oh, another way to live. Absolutely, yeah. So um, for a number of years, I taught a young adults ministry, and um, it was sixty uh, percent uh, women, forty percent men. The the women. This is uh, seven eight years ago now, or longer. The women were doing master's degrees, PhDs, MDs, physical therapy. The guys were playing uh, video games and sort of like living as post-college college flopouts. Okay. Uh, dropouts. Okay. And uh, it's part of the delayed, delayed <laughs> adolescence. Delayed adolescence. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And part of it's just social awkwardness. Right. Um, so I, I would teach, and after uh, I would teach, I would hang around until 10 at night. And you know who's standing there talking to me? These young women. Mm-hmm. So I've got three daughters. Of course, Cindy and I, almost uh, 39 years of marriage, you know, we're, we're thick as thieves. She knows about this. My oldest daughter is very involved with me and all this. And Hannah says to me, my daughter, she goes, Dad, you've got like 40 daughters. You know that. Mm-hmm. And so they're coming to me because I'm the safe old guy. Now, mm-hmm. in this cultural context, and me too, and, yeah. and you can't touch anybody, I yeah. can't, you know, so these young women would come to me. And door open, all that type of thing. My secretary and assistant down the hall. I don't counsel women. I'll mm-hmm. see them once. But in this evening session, mm-hmm. we're talking for hours. Mm-hmm. And so it was like 7 to 8, and they would stay till 10. 
So I'm sitting there with a couple staff mm-hmm. and uh, wholesome conversations, and these young women asking me questions, looking for that father to love them and encourage them. And this is how weird it got. So some of them came to work for us at the church. One woman was 30-some years old. She was a school teacher. She taught a couple of years, hated it. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> hated teaching. Well, it's demanding. Wasn't it's her calling. Probably demanding. So she comes to work for us. And uh, she would come in once in a while, and she'd obviously done her hair. Now, mm-hmm. if you have daughters, uh-huh. you know what this involves. Yeah, yeah. Doing their hair. Yeah, yeah, okay? yeah, yeah. She put makeup on, and I would tease her, do you have an interview today? <laughs> she'd laugh. And this is literally what I would say to her, Daryl. Uh-huh. I'd say, you know I'm like your father. Uh-huh. I am a man. Uh-huh. If I compliment your hair uh-huh. and say you look nice today, is that sexist? Mm-hmm. And they would say, of course not, Dr. E. Mm-hmm. And they would want to hug me. Mm-hmm. Now, where in the wholesome nature of Christianity mm-hmm. can't to, – to a young man, to a right. young woman, right. where we encourage him. But what happened? I listened to their story. Mm-hmm. I wasn't afraid to talk to him. And it mm-hmm. was always the same thing. It was heartbreaks. It was mm-hmm. stupid boyfriends. It was, you know, whatever. Their friends were getting married. Sure. On and on and on. Some of them had, had been hurt when they were young. And you're just trying to love them as Christ loves them. And I, I just think the sphere of influence that people have, we underestimate how easy it is just to be open and kind and say, man, I'm sorry. Yep. Which is why the fruit of the Spirit is primarily relational. You know, I mean, what what we are what we are what we're talking about is, however we may view where the church is conceptually, et cetera. What the church really needs is a good heavy dose of biblical relational yeah. Yeah. engagement, and. And, and sometimes that means – well, I, one of my favorite passages is being – you may not know it from the podcast – being slow to speak, you know, <laughs> slow to anger and quick to listen, you know. And, and slow to anger. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, didn't mean to, didn't mean to step on your toes and, and say, <laughs> yeah. Only certain people make me angry. Does that matter? <laughs> slow to yeah, anger right. with most yeah. people. Well, then okay. I won't go to love okay. your enemies, okay? okay? Well, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but, but, you know, so – but seriously, what we're, we're you know, my if, if someone were to ask me why why I think the church is hurting, and it's in part for its credibility. I mean, the church will always hurt with its credibility with the world. Jesus spent the entire second half of his ministry telling the disciples, "You follow me, the world's going to push back." But sometimes we help ourselves in this well, regard. We in the <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and and if you ask, you know, what enables us to what what can what can push in the op- opposite direction? It's it's that the other person would have a sense that we're at least making an effort when Jesus says, "Love your enemies and pray for them," etc. That there's some sense of communicating to someone different than me. The reason sometimes I challenge you is because I actually do care about you, you know. Yeah. And um, and when when we remove that element, that personal relational element, and we just simply take a stand. People can sniff that out. Millennials are really good at sniffing that out. They're very smart. Yeah, and 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 that that damages our credibility in terms of our core message, which is God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. You know, He cared enough to step down when we were all rebellious, without exception. Were you crusade background? Yeah, no, uh, young life. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> 
and, you know that explains a lot yeah 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 well it's more than you realize <laughs> and so but well I, I i'll talk to my therapist about that later oh you and, should <laughs> and uh and, and you know and so that's kind of where we find ourselves and and i find that our tone sometimes is um is problematic not because we shouldn't be confronting and not because we shouldn't have convictions but the way you do your confronting is as important as your confronting agreed and one thing Cindy and I have uh, talked about in recent months um, and, and you know we all go through conflict mm-hmm. and challenges and uh, there was a, a something that happened to us in recent months and this person was very unhappy with me and they posted it on social media, which is always a helpful way to express your <laughs> exactly emotions. right. And so, and I've I've made my share of you know social media stick in the eyes. Yeah, and I, yeah. I think I've gotten better. Um, but I wrote a, a very kind, neutral response, mm-hmm. and I said, "I'm really sorry this happened." Mm-hmm. And they responded back with a. You know, well, you need to do better, like a paragraph. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. they were still mad. How to how to fix your life? And of course, uh, my wife and daughter were talking to me about, you know, you should do this and you should do that. Uh-huh. And I said, you know, I don't know her. Mm-hmm. She's hurt. Mm-hmm. Her story is unknown to us. Uh, to say the right answer is not going to change. Uh, uh, I learned this years ago. You can't fact away someone's feeling. Mm-hmm. And uh, I hopefully, as I've gotten older, I've gotten a little more gentle toward people that are mad at me or mm-hmm. angry at something or angry at the church. Mm-hmm. Say, so, wait a minute, they're probably hurt. Mm-hmm. Somebody bit them. Uh, they were abused. Some church took advantage of them. They were in a harsh legalistic background. Who knows? Fill in a blank. Right. But just to see them as a wounded co-struggler mm-hmm. as opposed to a person that's wrong. Mm-hmm. In this case, they were. They were, mm-hmm. they were wrong and unkind in the post. But I can't get into a – well, you can. You can get into a jousting match on social media. doesn't work. That's right. doesn't do you a bit of good. doesn't prove anyone right. just no. makes a bunch of people mad. That's right. So the, uh, so the, the, way, the way we relate to one another and why we relate, particularly in the context of conflict, which, of course, is, is inevitable in, in the world that we live in, um, is an important lesson that people have to learn. And it's, and it's a hard lesson, uh, and yet it's probably what uh, – we just went through Luke 6 in my Gospel of Luke class. And the point that I made is, is that the point that Jesus is making in this section where he says, love your enemies is, is what will mark out the church as being distinctive will be a different kind of love. And, and if we don't show that, we're no different than anybody else. And if the church well, – I think this is the lesson of liberalism – if the church is no different than the psychologist down the street, then why do I go to church? Um, and, and so there's this core relational thing that the Spirit of God is trying to implant within us. That's why we get it. That's why the fruit of the Spirit is so relational. That is important to the DNA of any church community, it seems to me. I, I refer to it probably not super accurately as Paul's Great Commission mm-hmm. in Colossians 1, 29, for we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom mm-hmm. so that, purpose clause, we may present every man complete in Christ. And then I love this. For this we, or this purpose, we also labor, striving, agonizomai. Yeah, exactly. Agonizomai. <laughs> yeah. According to his power, mm-hmm. which works mightily within me. Exactly. And, and to me, that's 
that to me is the church. Mm -hmm. And I've been accused of being uh, too Pauline in my view of church. Mm -hmm. Go figure that. Yeah. Uh, but the proclamation of admonishment, and that goes back to um, we both know Rosario Butterfield, right, right, a good friend, right. Rosario, uh, who's come out of the uh, the LGBTQ discussion and is married and has children today, and uh, does a lot of good work trying to help people. Yep, we've had a on podcast uh, help people, and Rosario says if you don't call out a sinner to repent, you don't love them. Mm -hmm. Now Rosario can stand there and say that in a way that you nor I can. Mm -hmm. But I can still be friends with a person who's LGBTQ mm -hmm. and not be mad at them mm -hmm. or, or screaming at them. Mm -hmm. But when they're screaming at the believer mm -hmm. and they're mad at the believer, then our, our poise, yes, we're to love, but help me, Dr. Bach, mm -hmm. where when uh, something encroaches what we know is sinful and wrong behavior that is being sanctioned as okay. Are you loving if you just say, I, I want to understand how you feel? No, it's got to be more than that. It's absolutely got to be more than that. But it, but it, 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 you know, without getting to know the person and, and where they are coming from and how perhaps where, where those desires have come from, I mean, anything that I can do that can help me in those areas can also help me f wrestle with how do I best communicate to this to someone so that the care that I have for them comes alongside the challenge. I like to say that the challenge of any engagement is always attention with regard to the, anything having to do with the gospel and God's truth, is the tension between the challenge of what the gospel says about all our lives, because God is constantly challenging all of us to be more and to be better. I mean, you know, even the Thessalonians are doing well. I want you to love even better. Um, and, the, and, the, uh, and the hope that's built into the gospel. Because at the end, you know, when Peter, in that great passage in 1 Peter 3, where it says, be prepared to give a defense for the hope that is in He has all kinds of words he could choose to summarize what the faith is about, and he chooses the word hope. I'm defending a hope. There is something very, there's something very good newsy about the gospel. Mm -hmm. There's something mm -hmm. good about the gospel. So how do I do that in such a way so that a person doesn't just hear the critique, but they see that what's being extended to them is an invitation. The Second Corinthians five language of says, "We beg you, be reconciled to God in Christ." And the tone of that is interesting. See, God's pay grade is to deal with the heart and fix and, and fix the person in terms of response. That's not my deal. So the pressure's off me. All I need to do is be faithful in delivering that. And so mm -hmm. figuring out how to do that, even when someone is pushing as hard in rebellion as they can, is I think a tough assignment. I'm not saying it's easy. It's a tough assignment, but it's the call of the church. The the one line, and maybe we agree or disagree on this, is I think when it when it starts to injure. Other people, when it's when it's false, mm -hmm. um, I can empathize and get to know them and see their background. But if it's error or hurting other people, then I will call an audit. It has to be called yeah, out. I will absolutely, call, and, I, and I will say that's wrong and 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 call it out. Uh, you know, we all have family systems, uh, and we have friends who've had to ask their children to leave. That's right. And uh, the hardest thing a parent will ever do is say. There's the door, honey. There's the door, son. And you can't live that way. And uh, we're not going to uh, underwrite your sin. Mm -hmm. We have done all these things for years. You know where we stand. I'm not going to preach a sermon to you. I'm not going to make you go to youth group anymore. I, that That is not even the issue. Mm -hmm. The issue is you've chosen a life, a path that you know is wrong, 
and there's the way you live it, not here. That's hard stuff. Mm-hmm. But but I I still think you can do it in a loving way, but it doesn't feel like love. No. Well, because confrontation yeah. sometimes doesn't feel like love. I mean, I think it's I think it's important to do, and I think there are times to think about doing it, and then there are times to think wrestle with what when do you send the signal to that child who walks out the door, and you treat him like the prodigal. I'm always here for you. Which which we tell parents all the time. That's right. I'm always here. But yeah. there's got to be some behavioral attitudinal change for mm-hmm. you to come back and make this your hotel again. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> We're not going to be doing drugs or whatever it right. is that the situation was. Yeah. Um, and, and yes, and, and, and uh, you know, not, not to get too personal, but that very conversation has come from sending me on a number of occasions. We yeah. love you. We haven't gone anywhere. We're here. Yeah, I know it. I I mean, I have had the same. I had the same conversation with a sibling who asked me to participate in a service, and I couldn't do what they were asking to do because of the con- context in which they yep. were coming out of. And 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 I and I sat there and said, "This hurts me to do it." I was crying while I told her, you know, but but I said, "I can't do this." Um, and so I know what those conversations are too. But the one thing that has to come with that, absolutely has to come with that, is is the communication of this is being done out of love. This is not being I'm. This is not retribution. You know, this is being done out. Of, this is because I care about you. And uh, and and sometimes I think in our pursuit to be right, we sometimes. Oh, sacrifice. Lose, yeah, yeah. lose the modulation, if you will, that communicates that other element, and, and, and then the risk is we do damage. I think it's easier with the unbelieving community than the believing community, because when, when, the, when the fallout happens between believers that have different opinions, um, we, you know, we all have shop-worn this passage, as Paul says, if possible so far as it depends upon you. Right, right. peace with all men. Mm-hmm. Implication? It's not always possible. That's right. You can. Uh, I had when I was. But the onus is on you to do everything you can to go there. Yeah, yeah. Yep. I, I was at uh, when I was at Moody, uh, and you know, in leadership positions, you make a lot of. I mean, no matter what decision you make, you're going to make this group furious and this group happy. I right, mean, right. Just, that's leadership. And I remember a mantra that I developed. Bad word. Uh, <laughs> a, a, a theorem. I, uh, I, I it was uh, do the right thing in the right way and go home. Mm-hmm. And I would teach this when I would uh, teach leadership conferences and pastors' conferences. And each one is very important. Mm-hmm. You have to do the right thing, mm-hmm. but you can sure do it in the wrong way. That's right. And then it's still wrong. Exactly. Yeah. You can do the wrong thing in the right way. Yeah, right? that's still wrong. But if you do the right thing in the right way, and the last one I learned later was uh-huh. go home uh-huh. because tomorrow's going to be there. Yeah. You, you can't fix all these problems. You can't even fix your own problems. Yeah, and, and the local church – uh, to her defense, it's Christ Church, not ours. Mm-hmm. We have sinful men and women leading it, and this is why you've been an elder. Yeah. You know this. Um, I, I tell people when they are asked or you know going to be voted on, I said I, I would think about that long and hard because you've just stamped the word example on your forehead and walked out the door and said, "Live like I live." Yeah. That's how a good Christian lives. And you're also responsible for shepherding these people to live that way. And so doing the right thing the right way and going home as a Christian leader is, it's going to be there tomorrow, Lord. I can't fix it all today, but as best I could with counsel, with wisdom, with scripture, with experience, I did the right thing. I tried to do it the right way in the right time. Go home. Because the, the church is his bride. The church is his responsibility. 
we're ambassadors, right? And we can muck it up. Yep. But what church wasn't mucked up? That's right. And and to the extent that we always remember that we're in a fallen world, and that and that um, and that this will be a tension-filled process until Christ finally fixes it all, and the ultimate vindication comes. We have to learn how to live with tension. And and I do think that one of the effects of our culture today that is a little bit misleading is you get the impression that every problem is what I call a 30-minute and two-commercial problem. <laughs> you know, I can fix it in yeah. it with the right in, in 30 minutes. And no, most m- there are many things in life that aren't that easily resolvable. And for our younger generation, they don't even understand 30 minutes. Uh, in our younger generation, yeah. it's a social media blast. Yeah. And it's uh, – uh, I don't know if it's true here at Dallas, but one of the number one tre- highest trending hashtags in academics is TLDR, too long, didn't read. Mm-hmm. They don't even use notebooks anymore. It's done on the phone. Mm-hmm. And so if it's too long, they're not going to read – You know, to digest, digest information. They're going to react to a corpus of people that they follow, they like, they're in con- con- uh, some social community with. Um, and. and that's where I do think the the clarion back to let's get our nose in a book. Mm-hmm. Let's let's read it and and see if we can figure it out mm-hmm. and learn together. Uh, I, I tell people the story whenever I go somewhere, whether it's in a small group or a businessman or lunch. I say I'll say a couple things. Can I can I share something that I've read this morning? No one's ever said no. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that they've never said no to me whether it's a hospital or a lunch appointment or leaving their office, hey, can I pray for you now yeah, before no, I leave? that's a good one. Yeah. No one's ever told me no. No, that's right. I'll do it in a, in a pre-op surgery yep. when they're all coming in to wheel out this yep. person. I go, hey, can I pray for you guys for just a minute? No one has ever told me no. And and all, many times when you're all done, they'll say thank you. Oh, they'll be, they'll be crying. Yeah. They'll yeah. be crying. I had this one not too long ago, and I prayed for the – and I, I pray for the physician, the anesthesiologist, the staff. I pray they'll go textbook. I pray they'll have a great day. And and I thank them for their training and their hours. And the, and, and I'll have nurses and doctors saying, I wish all my patients would pray for me like that. Hmm. I have a, a Jewish surgeon that I know, and uh, he's done work on me. And um, he lost his wife. Hmm. Uh, 42 years of age, she died. And I went to see him for a follow-up, and I said, Dr. So-and-so, is, is this indelicate? And if this is an improper patient-doctor thing, you stop me. I'm just really sad for you. And he, his shoulders slumped, mm-hmm. and he sat there, mm-hmm. and I asked him a few questions. And uh, I said, I said, I'm a Goyim Christian, and I know you're Jewish. Can I pray for you? Mm. He said, I would like that. I just think we make it too hard. Mm-hmm. I think we construct these monsters in our mind that may or may not be real, and the compassion, the connection, the caring about those people. So all that to say, uh, you know, I think we we're, we're afraid to walk around with big Bibles anymore for a lot of reasons. But at the end of the day, if this isn't His Word, it doesn't matter. Yeah, and the only thing I'll say in response is Amen. And the only what we make it hard sometimes because we aren't willing to invest the personal commitment and relational capital it, to make it, it easy. It, it takes time to it make it easy. Time. Yeah, yeah. And and the young mindset, you're right. They're smarter. They're quicker. They're far more courageous mm-hmm. than you and I were, and usually more sensitive. Yep. And and they have been. Uh, I mean, they're our progeny. Yep. 
So part of that is understanding what we did and didn't do. That's right. As we uh, groomed them to become young adults. And so in this whole process of the body of Christ, I mean, wasn't there always a generation gap? Yeah. The 60s, you know, anti-establishmentarianism. I can't wait for my yeah. grandkids. They'll be like us. <laughs> <laughs> What's the bumper sticker? Have grandchildren first, right? Yeah, exactly right. Well, Michael, I thank you for coming in and talking to us about this. I think this has been fascinating. I know I've enjoyed it very, very much. Dr. Bach, appreciate your ministry. Hey, it's uh, Well, likewise, and it's great to just sit across the table and just, you know, shoot a little theological breeze and see what happens. We'll do it. All right. Great. Blessings. Yep. All right. Thanks. And we thank you for being a part of The Table and hope you'll join us again soon. Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. For more podcasts like this one, visit dts.edu slash the table. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well.